Hi, welcome to Family Doc Keto Talk. I'm Dr. Kelly Herbert. And I'm Dr. Erica Noonan. Hey guys, we're doctors, but we're not your doctors. This podcast is our opinions and not meant to provide medical advice. Consult your own doctor. There's a full disclaimer at the end of the podcast and online at our website, www.familydocketotalk.com. Hey, Kelly. How have you been this last week? Hey, I've been doing pretty good. How have you been, Erica? Pretty good. It's been pretty awesome to launch this podcast and have such a great response from everybody. Yeah, I think we were both uh, pretty shocked about how many listeners we've gotten in the first you know, week and the response that we've gotten from the listeners so far. Yeah, it's exciting to hear so many people excited about improving their health and improving their diet. So it's been really cool. Yeah, and we also have, you know, a lot of people interested in sharing their keto story also. So I think in the episodes to come when we do the interviews, it will be nice to uh, let others hear about it. So that will be good. Totally. I'm so excited. Definitely. So did you try anything new this week? Uh, You know, any new keto stuff? Well, I did something fun and interesting. I went and had a DEXA body scan done. Nice. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with a DEXA body scan... What it is, is it's a scan that looks at the density of your tissues and lets you know how much lean tissue you have versus how much muscle you have on your body. It was pretty interesting to have that done. And um, I found out I have a lot of fat on my body, (laughs) (laughs) which is fine. And it actually turned it into a really scientific thing for me and really kind of took the emotion out of my weight and body composition, which is kind of relieving and nice. So Anyway, so now I feel like I need to lift weights. What have you been up to? Mostly what I've been doing is eating, uh, I guess. That's Uh, good. (laughs) Eating is always good. As you know, I love to try new keto recipes and keto products. And the two uh, big products I tried recently, one was moon cheese that I saw on Amazon and ordered a little three-pack sampler. And it was delicious, other than the pepper jack, because it was too spicy. And I'm a <laughs> wimp with spices. I just couldn't handle it. You are a wimp uh, with spices. <laughs> I am. Uh, the other was something that you told me to get was the Legendary Foods. I got the chocolate chip peanut butter spread. Uh, and just a tablespoon of that for a little dessert is delicious. And then the two big keto recipes I tried this past week, uh, I made a keto calzone, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then a keto strawberry pie for my husband's birthday. That turned out absolutely delicious. And if you are following us on Instagram or Facebook, uh, you'll see that we have been posting some recipes to our website. So if you want any of those recipes, they're both on the website with a few others that we've posted. So that's been an exciting uh, update uh, just to the podcast and our website and everything. But the more exciting is that I got to eat those delicious things. So I I like this job. Yeah, seriously. So (laughs) Kelly is the cook. And this, I'm always telling her, I'm sorry, I'm not posting more recipes, but I just take a bunch of vegetables and some meat and somehow turn it into a meal and eat it. So I need to work on my recipes a little bit. (laughs) But your food always looks delicious when I see pictures. So, you know, you can't complain there. Yeah, vegetables are always good. So, okay. So great. So last week we talked about doing some fasting challenges and working on trying some fasting. Did you give it a try? So I did, actually. I did 
my challenge for myself was to try some intermittent fasting because I had not done that. Uh, so for about five days, I did intermittent fasting where I would just skip breakfast and then just, you know, eat lunch and dinner, sort of do a 16-8 intermittent fast. It actually wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be because I love my breakfast. Uh, <laughs> it was much easier than when I tried to fast for those 21 hours. I didn't mind it that bad. I guess in the end, it's, it was a lot easier than I anticipated. And what about you and your 48-hour fast that yeah. you're going to try? I totally made it 48 hours. So Nice. Yeah, so it, it's easiest to do for me when I'm working because yeah. – Keeps yeah. you busy. <laughs> Keeps busy. I'm not in the kitchen. So yeah, I did. I went 48 hours and by the end I was, honestly, I felt like I was, I was very hyper and excited. And my husband was wondering what kind of medication I was taking, <laughs> <laughs> but somehow not eating gave me a ton of energy and I actually felt really good. I do drink a lot of water. Um, I don't give up my diet Coke because <laughs> I do like that. And I did take some exogenous ketones. But other than that, yeah, I felt amazing. So I'll do it again. I pro probably not like every week, but maybe once a month or something, I'll give that a try. Nice, nice. So in the last episode, we asked others to do the challenge with us. And we had an Instagram follower, uh, Fat Girl Tries Keto is her username and she's from the Czech Republic. And she took on the challenge of the 48 hour fast. And I'm just going to read to you some of the things that she said about it, that she actually made it 60 hours uh, with the fast instead of the 48. And this is what she said. It's not hard in terms of hunger for me, but in terms of boredom and my routine, I really like my food and generally I tend to structure my days around it. So that's a game changer. I had way more time today, but I kind of miss the act of preparing food. Everything is going well, way better than expected. I'd say that it wasn't nearly as hard as I thought. I felt pretty good. My head was clear. I had energy. I didn't experience any problems. I'll be definitely doing it again, perhaps pushing it to 72 hours. So that's great that she was able to do it in even 60 hours for the first time fasting. That's, you know, wonderful. And, you know, I found it interesting that the hard part for her was the boredom and not having that routine of, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner type of thing and not preparing food. Because uh, I never thought of it in that way of, you know, I'm bored while I'm fasting or something like that. Right. But, you know, she same as you, you know, she had, a, you know, a lot of energy at the end where most people think, oh, my gosh, you haven't eaten for 60 hours. You're going to be, you know, on your deathbed pretty much where <laughs> it's the exact opposite. You know, it's true. So that was great of her to share that with us. Yeah. Um, we appreciate that. That was fun. Totally. That was so fun to hear from her. The one thing I just want to point out is to remember that fasting is not for everybody. And of course, you need to take into consideration your own health, medical conditions, and medications. So we're Definitely. not dishing out medical advice. Talk to your doctor. This week's Keto Factoid. We're excited to be adding this to our podcast. On every episode, we hope to review a article about the ketogenic diet or some other aspect of healthy living and talk about new evidence that's coming out. So this week, the article that I found is a study titled An Eight-Week Ketogenic Low-Carbohydrate High-Fat Diet Enhanced Exhaustive Exercise Capacity in Mice. So this is not a human study. It's a, it's a study that was done in animals, but essentially they looked at uh, mice that were fed a ketogenic diet and looked at their exercise capacity. So essentially, the mice ate a ketogenic diet for eight weeks, and they were subjected to running tests. 
their weight dropped dramatically, even though they were actually eating more calories than the mice that were eating a regular diet. And the mice that were on the ketogenic diet showed enhanced running time without increased muscle injury. Again, we don't know how this correlates to humans, but it's really exciting to see research coming out on the ketogenic diet, and we're excited to keep reading more. Yeah, we'll put a link on our website to the study in case anybody wants to look a little bit further into it or they're interested in it. And if you guys see any studies that come out um, that you want us to mention, go ahead and send us an email. So we're excited to be reviewing the book, The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Dr. Jason Fung is a nephrologist and he runs a clinic called the Intensive Dietary Management Clinic where he treats and manages patients with conditions that are highly responsive to dietary changes. So he has a really exciting practice and a lot of clinical knowledge and an amazing ability to evaluate research. I listened to this book as an audiobook, um, and then bought the book and Kelly's been reading the book too. And it's extremely interesting, but very, very technical. Wouldn't you agree, Kelly? Yeah, it uh, took me a lot longer to read it than a usual book just because I had to read it a little bit slower, so make sure I was catching everything, but very fascinating. I, I was shocked at how fascinated I was uh, at this book, because I thought, uh, you know, your typical diet book where I can read through it and, you know, get the point, but this was a lot of research behind it and uh, studies that he talked about that were very interesting. Right. I ended up looking up a lot of the studies and pulling out my old textbooks. It was pretty fun. <laughs> but the one yeah. interesting thing is he always um, uses human studies. He doesn't look at any animal studies, which was awesome evidence that he provides in the book. So anyway, so we're just going to talk about it a little bit and we would encourage you to also read this book and listen or listen to it if you want. It's a lot of great information, but hopefully we hit the key points or some key things we thought were really important to share um, with you. Definitely. So I think Eric and I both laughed at the first part of the book when he asked right off the bat, why are doctors fat? <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of fat doctors out there. And we both laughed since, you know, we did residency together and we know what's in the doctor's lounges. Uh, <laughs> donuts. Eric, Eric and I ate a lot of donuts during our residency and a lot of cookies and lots of soda and all the desserts and, and sugary stuff that they just pack in the doctor's lounges. So we both had a good uh, laugh about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and we you don't sleep and you stress and all of those other great things that help contribute <laughs> to doctors being fat. One of the main points of the book is that obesity is a hormonal disease and not a caloric disorder. And one of the interesting studies he looked at is the NHANES study, which is a really large study that looks at thousands of people. And this specifically was looking at the years between 88 and 2010. They looked at BMI, waist circumference, and showed that those went up, activity decreased, but there was no increased caloric intake. So we are always told that we're getting fatter because we're eating more. But if you actually look at the numbers, our calories haven't gone up. But surely our BMI and waist circumference as a country has gone up significantly. Yeah. And one of the interesting things, you know, he mentioned is that the nature of the calories have changed, though, over these years of we eat a lot of processed foods now compared to, you know, maybe back in the 1988 when it started, we didn't eat quite as much. And so even though uh, calories really are pretty similar. It could be that the nature of our calories have changed during that time. Totally. 
Um, another thing that I always try to make my patients understand that he mentioned in the book is that all calories are not equally likely to cause weight gain. You know, I always use the example, like, let's take a glazed Krispy Kreme donut. It has about 190 calories. About one and a half tablespoons of olive oil also has about 190 calories. You know, the difference is, what's the donut going to do to your blood sugar level and your insulin level? And what's the olive oil going to do? I think, you know, you don't have to know much about uh, physiology in your body to know that the donut is going to affect that a lot more. And so, you know, these, these diets that focus just on calories can be really dangerous because people can eat, you know, two Snickers bars a day and stay within their calories if they eat lettuce the rest of the day and can cause a lot of problems down the road. So the other point he makes is that calories in does not equal calories out. And this is something that I have been guilty of teaching people for years is that if you just track your calories in and you track your exercise and you make sure you're spending more calories than you're eating, that you're going to lose weight. But the body is such a complicated physiological system that it's going to adjust. If you eat less calories, your body is going to use less energy. And if you eat more calories, your body is going to burn more energy. And so it's not a simple equation of calories in, calories out. Yeah, Erica and I were talking about this other day, and it was funny because she said that she felt duped uh, all these years because we were taught, you know, all these different things. And we'll be the first to tell you that doctors don't get the greatest nutrition courses. Um, it's pretty brief. Sometimes it's just a day in med school. Um, but the things that we're taught, move more, eat less. That's, you know, that's the simple prescription for weight loss. But, you know, we know that that's really not that true. Right. And like I said, as we were reading this, I had to keep going back to the articles he was citing because it was, it was almost unbelievable son of it for me, but it is really supported by the literature. So one of the things I really liked that he brought up uh, was that saying that increasing exercise does not reduce obesity. Weight loss comes from about 95% of your diet changes. Only about 5% probably comes from the exercise that you do. And I would say at least once a week, I have a patient in my clinic saying, well, I need to lose weight, but I don't have time to exercise. Or my knees hurt, so I can't exercise. Or I can't afford a gym membership, so I can't lose weight. That's, that's what they think. So when I tell them the statistic, most of them don't believe me. They think, whatever, you have to exercise to lose weight. And uh, it takes a lot of convincing for some of my patients that, you know, it's, it's mostly what you eat, not the activity that you do. Completely. And Kelly, it's like a daily basis for me where my patients tell me their knees hurt and so they can't exercise and therefore they can't lose weight. Such a common thing. And I have actually over the past two years lost a significant amount of weight in like probably around 50 pounds. And I have not done a lot of exercise and that's nothing to brag about. I really need to because there are other <laughs> benefits of exercise, right? Definitely. Such, yeah. I actually tell my patients who are mostly older, all of the time that the, if they remember nothing I say, they need to exercise because it's so important for fall prevention, longevity, their brain, but for weight, it's your diet. Yes. You know, a lot of people I think make the excuse also, well, you know, I want to go out for pizza tonight, so I'm going to run, you know, extra two miles today and burn an extra, you know, 300 calories so I can have that extra slice of pizza. And that's, you know, that's really not how it works. If weight loss was that easy, you know, like the calories in calories out, then there wouldn't be thousands of diets and thousands of diet books about this kind of stuff. 
One of the big themes of his book is insulin, and understanding insulin is really important to help us understand how the ketogenic diet works in general and why we are fat. So insulin is a hormone that is released from the pancreas into our bodies, into our bloodstreams. And the pancreas knows to release insulin when our blood sugar levels go up. So our blood sugar levels go up and insulin comes out. What does insulin do? So insulin goes to our cells and tells our cells to open the gates and let sugar into the cells. Dr. Fung uses a key and lock analogy where the lock is the receptor on the cell and the key to open up the cell is the insulin. Obese patients tend to have higher fasting insulin levels as well as an exaggerated insulin response to food. And levels of insulin can be up to 20% higher in obese people. So one of the main conclusions that is drawn is that higher insulin levels lead to higher weight. All right. So one of the problems that a lot of people get, especially with obesity, is something called insulin resistance. And so if we use that key and lock analogy that Erica talked about just a second ago, what happens with insulin resistance is that the key no longer fits in the lock. So insulin is not fitting in the receptor very well. And so the door can't open very well. And so just a little bit of the blood glucose can get into the cell. And so what does it do? Well, it builds up in our bloodstream. So we get a little bit higher blood sugar. Well, the cell doesn't like that. You know, the cell wants the blood sugar. It needs it. And so what does it do? It sends out a signal to say, hey, we need more blood sugar in here. So what does our body do? Well, it produces more keys or insulin. And so more insulin comes. Once again, they don't fit very well. But since there's more insulin, more blood sugar is able to get into the cell. So the problem with this is that insulin resistance happens because it's a response to high persistent levels of insulin. How do we get high persistent levels of insulin? Well, mostly we get them by what we're eating. You know, the, the main stimulus of insulin is, is glucose. Where do we get glucose from? Well, anything sugary we eat or carbohydrates. And so it's sort of like this vicious cycle, uh, like a ball rolling down a hill where, you know, high insulin causes insulin resistance and insulin resistance causes high insulin. And so you got to try to stop the cycle. And, you know, that's what the keto diet is trying to do in these patients that have insulin resistance. So one of the interesting things in the book and one of the hard things for me to read is his uh, section about snacking because I love my snacks. I'm not going to lie. I I totally love, (laughs) yeah, I love snacks too. We snack a lot at my house and I'm constantly trying to get my kids to stop stop snacking, but then I'm over there pulling something out of the cupboard. Yeah. I, uh, at work, I look forward to the times in the morning I have my snack and in the afternoon. So I'm a big snack person. So even though this part was interesting, it made me realize maybe I should, uh, cut back on my (laughs) snacks a little bit, uh, (laughs) The other interesting thing, Kelly, I would say is I have actually done like very structured diet programs in the past that have a snacking essentially all day long where I was eating, oh my gosh, I can't even remember. I was eating probably seven meals a day. That's a lot of eating. Yes. Yeah, really. <laughs> and you know, what's interesting is, you know, the whole thing behind the snacking is why he says you shouldn't do it is your insulin is always being stimulated if you're snacking. It doesn't have time to go down low you know, like you do if you just have three meals a day, where if you're snacking, you know, you have breakfast, insulin goes up, then you have a snack a few hours later, insulin stays up, 
same with lunch, an afternoon snack, dinner, sometimes even evening snack. And so that insulin never really has a chance to go down until you go to sleep. And so that was, I never even thought about it, you know, in that sense. I just like my snacks. So I kept eating them. <laughs> totally. And to go along with snacking, he talks about fasting, which is something both me and you have been playing around a little bit with. But the point of fasting is to help lower your insulin levels, give your body a rest from all of this insulin running around. And regular fasting has been shown to improve insulin sensitivity. And people are a little thrown off by the idea of fasting because we've always been told, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day and you're going to kill your metabolism. But fasting has really been around forever. Uh, it's been practiced in many religions for a long time, many cultures for a long time, and, you know, has a pretty great safety profile. So there's actually a whole other book um, that Dr. Fung wrote about fasting and so much more to learn about it. But it's something that may be beneficial for some people. And again, it's something that's not for everybody, um, but it will help with uh, lowering insulin levels. Yeah, I think people are really scared to fast for, you know, they're thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't eat, then something really bad is going to happen to me. You know, I tell a lot of my patients, especially when they come in sick and they're like, well, I haven't been eating. I said, I don't care if you don't eat. Like right. you can go days and days and days and days mm -hmm. and not eat. You know, I care about hydration. Like, exactly. You, know, those, <laughs> like, you can't go very many days without drinking. So, you know, but people get so stuck on, you got to eat in order to be healthy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like the whole, you got to eat a lot of fat on the keto diet. People sometimes have a really hard time uh, taking that in. I think this is also one of those situations. Totally. So you guys, those are some of the key points we took away from this book. And really, we do not have the time to do it justice because there's so much amazing information and so many other important points in this book. So if you have time, it would be a great read or something to listen to. But hopefully you guys learned a thing or two from this today. Now for our keto takeaway. So this week for our keto takeaway, we are going to try to not snack. It is going to be very sad. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Because, so. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. I can do this. Okay. I can do this. Okay. Can we still have dessert is one question I have. Definitely. Okay. As long as your dessert's not like, you know, hours and hours <gasps> past when you eat. I know. Oh, but my... that, that, that falls into more of a snack category. That is kind of a snack. Okay. So I have to eat my dessert like right after my dinner. Within an hour, I'll, I'll say. Okay. Okay. So that's the goal. Dessert within an hour or no dessert. Okay. We and once again, once again, if any of our listeners want to try this also, totally. uh, please let us know if you do it. And we'd love to hear your experience. If you're right. snackers like us, because I guarantee there's more than just two people that do the keto diet that <laughs> love snacking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to do recipes that aren't snacks this next two weeks, too. Definitely. We'll do that. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Keto Corner, where we respond to your emails and messages. So the listener email this week is from Heidi, and she writes... Is this a reasonable diet for lactose intolerant people? And so, believe it or not, there's quite a few people that do the keto diet that are lactose intolerant. Uh, there's a lot of recipes out there. I did a little Google search and I found a lot of dairy-free recipes that were keto. And I will definitely post some of those on 
our website. But I think it is a little bit harder to do keto if you're lactose intolerant, because you and I both know that when we look at keto stuff, a lot of it's like cheese and butter and sour cream and cream cheese. There's a lot of dairy products in keto, but I think it's definitely doable, you know, using, you know, coconut oils uh, as a substitute is probably the biggest thing that you're going to end up using is my guess if you're having to go dairy free. I know any experience that you have, uh, Erica, with this? No, I I know I've just heard from a lot of people or read a lot of people that aren't necessarily even lactose intolerant. They just feel better and do a dairy-free keto. So there's a lot out there and a lot of people do do dairy-free keto successfully. For me, it'd be really hard, but... <laughs> Erica does love her cheese. Uh, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've known a lot of people, if they hit a plateau, they'll drop out dairy for like a week or two. Uh, and that seems to help them, uh, get back to into the weight loss mode for whatever reason. And I agree. I have heard a lot of people say they feel better in general when they don't eat dairy. So I think it's a very doable diet when you are lactose intolerant. It might just take a little bit more work, but definitely possible. So you guys, we're going to be doing another giveaway. We did a giveaway last episode and we were really excited to get that mailed off the other day. And our giveaway from this episode is going to be your own copy of the obesity code. And we're also going to be giving out a copy of a book called the big fat surprise, which is the next book we will be reviewing. So if you would like to enter our giveaway, we are going to have instructions posted on our Instagram and Facebook pages on how to enter. And we had a lot of entries last time. So we're excited to hear from you this time. Just a reminder that our podcast will come out every two weeks. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. It's really important to us. Uh, And we're on a lot of other different platforms. So if you don't use iTunes, that's fine. And we're getting more platforms every day that we're on. So right now, we're on Google Play, Anchor, TuneIn, Overcast, Podbean, CastBox, and Pocket Cast. On Facebook, just search Family Doc Keto Talk and you'll find us. And on our Instagram, it's at FamilyDocKetoTalk. And of course, don't forget to visit our website, www.FamilyDocKetoTalk.com. We have recipes on there, products that we like, uh, apps that we have used or we like, and podcasts that we listen to. So check that out. There's, um, we're getting more and more good information on there. Also remember, you can always send us an email with any questions, feedback, concerns, compliments, any topic ideas that you might have. Uh, If you did decide to do the challenge, always message us on social media or email. But our email is familydocketotalk at gmail.com. Great, guys. Thanks for listening to us again this week. And that's all for this week. So we'll see you next time on Family Doc Keto Talk. Bye. Bye. Medical disclaimer, this podcast is not designed to provide medical advice. Dr. Noonan and Dr. Hurlbert are not a substitute for medical advice. We will be sharing opinions and personal stories about ourselves and others. We will also be discussing research and evidence about the keto diet. Our guests will also be sharing their opinions while on the podcast. None of these things should take the place of consulting 
with your own licensed healthcare provider. All content of this podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing discussed on this podcast is meant to create a physician-patient relationship. Never delay getting medical help or disregard medical advice because of something you have heard on the podcast. Never rely on this podcast for your medical advice in place of seeking medical care. Dr. Noonan and Dr. Hurlbert are not responsible or liable for any treatment, diagnosis, advice, or any other information, products, or services that you may obtain through this podcast.